first lesson is taken from Corinthians chapter 12, verses 3b to 13. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit of the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between the spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, all of the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one Spirit. The word of the Lord. The second reading from today is from the book of Acts, from chapter 2, various verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout people from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers and sisters, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I begin, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill, renew, restore us that we might reflect the goodness of your character and be formed as a foretaste of your future. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When the day of Pentecost arrived. For historians, Christianity poses a huge mystery. How could Christianity spread throughout the entire Roman Empire amidst thousands of competing religions? It's unprecedented. Never in human history has an ideology, a religion, a philosophy spread as quickly without the use of force as did Christianity. How did it happen? The answers to that question are numerous. Some note the compelling nature, the way that Christians died when they were persecuted, sent to the lions, to the stake, to the arena. They died singing. They died unafraid, leading others to wonder, what do these people have that we don't? Not only do they die well, but they were unbelievably compassionate One of the early Roman emperors, Julian, who was frustrated by the growth of Christianity, wrote a letter to a friend, and he said, it's growing so fast because they take care of the poor. Everyone takes care of their own poor, but these Christians, they take care of everyone's poor. They grew, not only because they died well, unbelievably compassionate, but it was also the most inclusive faith the world had ever seen. Most religions grew within an ethnicity, a class, a gender, an education level, but Christians was the only one that embraced every ethnicity, class, and gender. But these answers do not fully satisfy the mystery of Christianity's growth because they don't explain why. Why did they die well? Why were they so unbelievably compassionate Why were they so radically inclusive? It was Yale historian Wayne Meeks who said, the more one examines the factors that seem to account for the extraordinary growth of Christianity, the more one is driven to search for a cause underlying them all. It is clear that at the very beginning of Christianity, there must have occurred a vast release of energy, virtually unparalleled in history, without which the future course of the religion is inexplicable. When the day of Pentecost arrived, there were three pilgrimage feasts in the Jewish calendar, three high feasts that invited worshipers to ascend to Jerusalem. 
the Feast of Tabernacles, of Passover, and Pentecost. The Feast of Tabernacles remembered the Jewish people wandering the desert, a nomadic people living in tents, commanded to build a tabernacle which was at the center of their encampment, a place where the presence of the living God dwelt. The Shekinah glory of God descended as a pillar of cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night. God clearly communicating to his people, I am with you. When you're wandering the desert in a tent, I'm wandering the desert in a tent. When your tent is mildewy and threadbare, my tent is mildewy and threadbare. I'm not distant, remote, aloof. I am with you, my people, in whatever you're going through. And if one were to work out the dating of Jesus' birth, we would find that it was smack in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. In Jesus, God comes to be with us, Emmanuel. In the words of the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Jesus fulfills the Feast of Tabernacles. Passover commemorated another key moment in Jewish history. They were under the oppression of Egyptian slave masters, and God raises up a leader, Moses, who comes to an Egyptian pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go, that they may go and worship me and be formed as a people. And even successive plagues would not bend Pharaoh's heart toward that. And then a final plague the angel of death coming over the land. But through trust in lamb's blood applied to the doorposts of their homes, death passed over the Israelites. And Pharaoh finally relented. The Jewish people were freed to worship and be formed as God's people. At Passover, Jesus dies. Through faith in him, trust in shed blood applied to the doorposts of our hearts, judgment and death pass over us. By Jesus' resurrection, we are freed from the slavery of sin and death to worship and be formed as his people. Jesus fulfills Passover. When the day of Pentecost arrived, or more literally, when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. This is the day when Jesus fulfills that final high feast, when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. There were two emphases of the feast of Pentecost. One was historical, the other was agricultural. Historically, this feast had no set date. It was constantly moving, moving in relation to Passover, Penta, 50. 50 days after Passover, 50 days after their rescue from slavery as a people, the people of Israel come to the foot of Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up onto the mountain to meet with God, and there's fire, and there's wind, and the presence of God descends. And Moses receives the Ten Commandments, a law that was meant to form the people to reflect the character of God. And he comes down from the mountain and is transfixed by a horrifying scene. The people in his absence, under the supervision of his brother, 
have crafted for themselves a golden calf, one of the gods of the Egyptians, and they're worshiping by way of a drunken orgy. Those tablets, carefully guarded on the downward journey, are now dashed to pieces upon the rocks. Violence erupts as the leaders of the rebellion are brought to justice, and 3,000 lie dead. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, 50 days after Jesus fulfilled Passover, 120 disciples are gathered in that upper room. There is wind and fire and the presence of the living God descends not on a tabernacle, not on a mountain, but on a people. The presence of the living God enters into a people and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to proclaim the good works of God in Jesus. And upon hearing it, judgment falls. The people are cut to the heart. What shall we do? They cry out. And Peter responds, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. And they do. And 3,000 come to new life in Jesus when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Pentecost, first and foremost, is a call to holiness, a call to reflect the character of God, a call to turn away from cultural idols of of wealth, beauty, comfort, pleasure. Pentecost is a, a call to repentance. For the Spirit reveals Jesus, reveals His goodness, glory, holiness, the true humanity for which we were created. The Spirit reveals the great work of God in Jesus, His death and resurrection, His taking our sin upon His shoulders, His dying of our death in order to cut us to the heart. What shall we do? Repent, Turn away from cultural idols. Leave one way of doing, being, and relating and take on a whole new way. The way of Jesus. The way of his kingdom. Oh, but we run from repentance, don't we? We feel that twinge of conscience. We're brought to the remembrance of one that we've wronged. We feel that tug to turn away, to craft a new future But we don't. We start building a case for ourselves. We justify. Oh, I wouldn't have done that if this hadn't happened to me. I wouldn't have done that if they hadn't done or or said, I'm not so bad, at least I haven't. It couldn't have happened any other way. I had no options left but to do that. We don't want to feel bad about ourselves, so we tamp that conviction down. Pentecost is a call to holiness, a call to reflect the character of God to repentance, but not by looking at stone tablets, but by looking at Jesus, who beckons to us, I died to rescue you from that thing to free you from its hold, its harm upon you and others. Let me free you. Let me heal you. 
Don't cover that thing over with justification and excuse. Let me cover it over with grace and love and forgiveness. A repentance born of looking at stone tablets says, I've provoked a sovereign God who will tear up rocks and trees. But a repentance born of beholding Jesus will say, I have beheld loving goodness. One who loves me with an everlasting love and longs to set me free. A life born of beholding stone tablets can only be made aware of its sin. But a life born of beholding Jesus can be made new by the power and work of the Spirit. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled... Three months ago, I shared with you what I sensed was a word from God for us as a church. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Let me in. A fresh outpouring of the Spirit bringing about something new in us. But the Spirit's movement is always attended with repentance. The Spirit is a holy Spirit calling us, empowering us to be a people that is set apart, set apart for God, set apart for a purpose. As a staff team in our weekly check-ins, we've taken to sharing with one another where we sense the Spirit's work in our midst. And many of the stories we've been sharing with one another have to do with repentance. The Spirit bringing to people's remembrance things that they may have done decades ago. And they're repenting. Restitution is being made. Relationships in the body are being mended. These are signs of the Spirit's work in us. So I ask, where might the Spirit be calling you to repent, to turn from sin, to restore broken relationship, to turn away from cultural idols? Don't run from it. Don't cover it up with anything else but his love and grace. For he longs to set you free, that you might have new life in him. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Now not only was Pentecost a historical feast, commemorating the giving of the law, forming a people to reflect the character of God, it was also an agricultural feast. It was the feast of first fruits. It was the time of year where they'd begin to bring in the grain harvest. They would get that first taste of an actual future. We have some experience of that when in August, peaches and cream corn go on sale from roadside stalls. We'll get a first taste of Ontario corn that will soon fill grocery store bins. See, the first mention of the Spirit is in the opening verses of Genesis. The Spirit of God hovering like a bird over the waters as God speaks creation into being. That scene then is repeated at Jesus' baptism as the incarnate word comes up out of the water. The Spirit descends as a dove hovering over the waters. God is clearly communicating to us, I am about a new creation in this Jesus. And at Pentecost, the Spirit descends to bring about that new creation in us, to form a people, a community, that we would be a foretaste of Jesus' future, a future that will come in its fullness upon his return. 
It begs the question, what will that look like? Well, we have some clues in this text. In verses 9 to 11, we have a, have a list of nations gathered in Jerusalem. Names that will tongue-tie even the best of readers, though James did a great job. And the only other time where we have such a list of nations in the Scriptures is in Genesis 10, right before the story of the Tower of Babel, where the people of the earth are gathered in pride and idolatry to build a tower that will stretch into the heavens. And seeing where that sin will ultimately lead, God confuses their languages, frustrates the harm this will cause themselves and others. It's their sin that leads to division, to separations between peoples. And at Pentecost, the Spirit enables the disciples to speak of Jesus in all the known languages of the world. A people divided are brought together in Jesus by the Spirit. It's a reverse of the curse of Babel, forming an incredibly racially diverse community. I told this story last Pentecost, but I think it bears repeating. Last year, I attended a conference in England at Holy Trinity Brompton in the UK. Their rector at the time, Nicky Gumbel, who you might know from the Alpha videos, in a candid moment was grumbling about the makeup of the worship team that morning. He said, this is the first time in years we've had an all-white worship team. That This cannot be. And his reasoning was instructive. And it wasn't about tokenism. He said, our worship should reflect our future. Should reflect a future where every tongue and tribe and nation are gathered in worship around the throne of God. The Spirit descends that would be a foretaste of that future. I've been so deeply encouraged over the last number of months as I watch our community gather around this table as more and more we're beginning to reflect the diversity of the city around us. It's a sign of the Spirit's work in us. Now, strikingly, it's not just the twelve who are empowered by the Spirit to speak the mighty works of God in Jesus. It's everyone. Men, women, children. The teaching of the scriptures, as it was touched on in our first reading, is that every single person in Christ is empowered by the Spirit with gifts that enable us to reflect and be a foretaste of Jesus' future. At our last retreat, we spoke of those gifts, and we categorized them as love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. Love gifts were things like mercy and hospitality and generosity. Word gifts like teaching, encouragement, pastoring, shepherding. Empower gifts of tongues, interpretation of tongues, visions, words of knowledge and wisdom, the discernment of spirits. And at the retreat, we acknowledge that we often as a church recognize and give space for the love and word gifts, but not so much for the power gifts. Over the last months, I've had many in our midst come to me with those kinds of power gifts and say, I used to in the past receive visions and words of knowledge and wisdom to give to other people, but that hasn't happened in years, but it's now returned. But people say that they have greater freedom to express their power gifts in our midst, which is incredible. 
because we are diminished unless those gifts are expressed. For we need all of those gifts that we might be formed and shaped as a community to be a foretaste of a future. It's a sign of the Spirit's work in us. Now the closing verses of Acts 2 open the window further to how the Spirit forms and shapes this beautifully diverse community gifted to be a foretaste of a future. It says that the Spirit devotes them or completely gives them over. They are devoted to the apostles' teaching, meaning they're committed to King Jesus, committed to the patterns of his kingdom, of justice, of love, of forgiveness, of grace. They devoted themselves, they gave themselves completely over to one another, to fellowship, to a community that would deeply love and care for and minister to one another been incredible to see the generosity of this community toward others in need in their midst. It is a sign of the Spirit's work in us. They devoted themselves, they gave themselves completely over to joyous worship, formal and informal. We've seen greater freedom and joy in our worship. It's a sign of the Spirit's work in us. They devoted themselves, they gave themselves completely over to generous, compassionate service, selling what they have and giving it to those in need. We're in the midst of a year of discernment, discerning what it is as a community to live out gospel justice in this neighborhood, to love our neighbor. And toward that end, we had a couple of justice workshops. We had 60 attend each of them. And Jesse, our workshop leader, said, I never, ever expected that kind of number. His reflection was, God must be up to something in your midst. It's a sign of the Spirit's work in us. We could go on, for there are many signs of the Spirit's work, forming us more and more to be a foretaste of his glorious kingdom. Are we there yet? Of course not. Until his return, we will only be a foretaste, tarnished by sin. But in the words of John Newton, we are not what we ought to be, we are not what we hope to be, but thankfully we're not what we used to be, and by the grace of God we are what we are. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, there must have been a vast release of energy reflects historian Wayne Meeks, to explain Christianity's mysterious origins. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, when the Spirit descended in power, forming a community to reflect the goodness of God as a foretaste of a future. But today, we don't just remember an historical event. We reorient ourselves to the truth that it is that same Spirit that sustains and empowers us still. And we rest in that truth. I'm going to now invite our musical worship team to come forward and to lead us in a responsive song. We can remain seated for it and join whenever we feel comfortable. Very simple lyrics. It's a simple reworking of one of the most ancient prayers of the early church. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Rest on us, fill us. As you hovered over the waters, hover over us. Come, Holy Spirit, come, fill us, renew us, 
Make us new. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.